The National Retail Federation is forecasting about a decline of about 1% this year in holiday sales, uh, which in a way is good news. The rate of decline uh, is certainly uh, starting to decrease. And welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm David Kestenbaum in Washington, D.C. And I'm Adam Davidson at Planet Money's Brooklyn South Bureau, also known as my apartment with my ISDN line. Today is Wednesday, October 7th. And that, of course, was Scott Krugman, everyone's favorite vice president of the National Retail Federation that you heard at the top. Scott was saying something that we keep hearing these days. Things sure are bad, but they're not as bad as they could be. On the podcast today, David, we are going to talk about the economics of being a parent. But first, the Planet Money Indicator. And the indicator is 19.6 million. I'm happy to say the units are physics units. They are in square feet. Oh, you physicists. (laughs) That is the amount of office space that companies said we don't need anymore. They're leaving their offices, and there are a lot of empty offices out there. That number comes from Reese Inc., a real estate research firm. There's an article about this in the Wall Street Journal this morning. And I don't know why economists keep doing this, but 19.6 million square feet freed up. That that is referred to as negative absorption, which ranks right up there with my other favorite negative growth for when GDP is actually just shrinking. But we are going to negatively slow down in this podcast. We're going to move forward, in other words. (laughs) Thank you. So, David, as you know, of course, I've been listening to these teaching company lectures, you know, where they record a lecture from some prominent professor somewhere in America. And I swear I am not a paid spokesman. I just really like them. I don't don't know anyone there. And the the ones I've been enjoying the most lately are about past societies. They're, They're not necessarily explicitly economic, but when I listen to them, you know, because I'm part of Planet Money, I've been thinking about how much of our day to day life that we live today is not purely human nature. It's a result of economic conditions that are so basic, we don't even think about them. So, so David, take, for example, this is my favorite lately, is how we raise our children. I know about you, man, but uh, maybe you had your allowance pegged to LIBOR, the London Interbank Offerate or something. But in my family, it was pretty straightforward. It was all driven by love, I can tell you. Well, you're a very lovable man, David, <laughs> as we all know. But... I will still argue that a fair amount of the way your parents loved you and the way that love manifested itself in your life was was largely determined by the economic conditions of 1970s Philadelphia. (laughs) That is so troubling. Okay, I want to hear more. Okay. So, I mean, look, of course, we want to think of children just as these magical little creatures and, you know, that we never think of them in terms of economic value or things like that. But when you look at human history, in fact, much of human history, when parents really thought about children in terms of what value, what actual economic value they added to the family. That that does not sound very nurturing to me. Well, look, of course, parents are nurturing. They love their kids. They've always loved their kids, as far as we can tell. They just treated them differently because life was harder. There wasn't enough stuff to go around. So the the guy who gave the lecture that I've been talking about is named Mick Watson. He's chair of the psychology department at Brandeis University. And maybe more importantly, he also has two kids of his own. He knows what he's talking about. And most of his lecture is about different theories of child development, but he starts it off by sort of laying out different types of civilization, basically hunter-gatherer, 
agricultural, and modern industrial, and explains how the different conditions in each of those mean for very different styles of parenting. Knowing what I know about the processes of attachment and childhood, both in humans and in all other species, I would argue that always there was a push towards loving your children, being strongly attached to them, feeling nurturant towards them. That probably is always there in humans. Right. And we even see in primates the same. Yeah. So so that having been said, and, and, and knowing yeah, now let's beat up on those old parents. Yeah. yeah. So, so I won't say they were all so bad. They were probably really good. But that having been said, there are a lot of historical or cultural uh, factors that do influence uh, certain beliefs and practices about parenting nowadays in cultural differences. And certainly it looks like they were there in, uh, in past times as well. So you could compare... Uh, uh, hunter-gatherers, pre-agricultural societies with agrarian agricultural societies with technological industrial societies. And uh, in the hunter-gatherer societies, the ones that we know about in our time, the Kung Bushmen, for example, in the Kalahari of Africa, who have changed a lot lately, but knowing what they were like before they had a lot of, uh, of Western contact, we could use those as an example and what we know from previous cultures. And they had – first, they, 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 they were in a uh, climate and an area where they had a lot of the necessities provided. So to be hunter-gatherers, you've got to have a lot of food around. You can go around and gather it. You don't have to worry too much. You don't have to plant and worry. And their kids were brought up in such a way uh, that they had very little responsibility relative to – a lot of the kids that we have in our culture or in agrarian cultures, it was pretty easy for a kid. And the kids were uh, valued and enjoyed. They, uh, the family members stayed in close proximity to one another. Uh, young children stayed with their parents for a, quite a long time, for many years. And generally, I mean, physically touching their mother for much oh, of their yeah. childhood. Mothers carrying them around, breastfed till they were four years of age. Uh, uh, parents were indulgent of the child's activity. And, and that's the way they were. And it, in fact, the point is, it wasn't good or bad. It, it was adaptive. It met their needs. There was no reason to do it otherwise. Uh, that's the way they'd brought, be brought up. But in that process, they'd learn to be loving, warm parents. They'd learn to uh, wander around with the family and, uh, and gather what they need. And, you know, it seemed to work. I mean, when we look at kids today, I, I live in just outside of Park Slope, Brooklyn, and you hear a lot about overly indulgent parents in today's society, parents who get... Okay, so, so let me take you through this. Uh, yeah. When, uh, when it, if cultures then became more uh, agrarian, that meant they settled down, they stayed in one place, they built homes for one place. And that would make sense if maybe it wasn't so warm, you needed shelters, you needed a, a, some way to grow the food. And what happened was... And you can then draw the conclusions as what led to what. But what happened was is family size increased uh, and uh, as people stayed put. And uh, probably mortality was not as bad. Infant mortality was not as high. Uh, but they needed children. Now they gave them more responsibilities because this was a, a cooperative venture among families to work on the farm and work in the, in the agricultural needs. And so uh, as uh, both women and men were out working, the children were given more responsibilities at younger ages. So they had to babysit, take care of household chores, maybe do some gardening. And a lot of these cultures, uh, they became, not only were they given more chores, but to do this, 
the discipline and child rearing became more strict. You had to teach children to learn to be cooperative and to do their chores and to be responsible. So that sounds like a just from the standpoint of being a toddler, yeah. it sounds much less fun. I mean, as a hunter-gatherer toddler... Yeah, it it was pl- probably much less fun. You probably had a, a better chance of surviving, and it worked. The point is it worked for that culture. Each member of the family contributed to the income and economy of the whole family. Now, if I remember correctly from, from your course, uh, even artwork, you you see kids are no longer drawn... As babies, they're drawn almost like little adults. Well, that happened, uh, interestingly, I don't know how, what the artwork looked like if they drew kids in hunter-gatherer societies or in these agrarian societies. But what happened is, as you got into uh, certain cultures where they used more artwork and drew pictures of kids, they painted these kids as if they were little adults. They were serious like adults. They stood straight like adults. They wore adults' clothes made to fit them. And uh, so this seemed to be the ideal. Maybe they didn't look like that in normal life, but that, this is, was the ideal of how you portrayed them. And uh, and kids were seen like miniature adults. Another question I had is, is there any way of knowing – I mean, I, my understanding, infant mortality was, was pretty high. I mean, the, the average person alive between the dawn of time and 200 years ago was actually very likely to lose a few children – uh, in childhood. Yeah, my guess is over at different times in all of our history, it probably went up and down. But for example, in, oh, you pick 1730 in Germany uh, um, and, and other places in Europe, most of Europe, uh, over 50% of kids died before they were five. Wow, which is unbelievable. A lot of them in the first couple of years. Is there a sign that parents, you just don't attach as much? You don't devote as much of your heart to the kids? You're bringing up some really interesting points. So they didn't seem to. And some people argued, see, they were harsher. They didn't care about their kids as much as we do. But we have actually a modern-day case of this that points to a slightly different approach to it. And this is a case in some very poor areas of Brazil and a few other areas in South America in which there's a high mortality rate among the kids. And the parents don't seem to show... uh, the, the remorse or loss when they lose children. But when you talk to them, when people have talked to them, the argument is, I think what you were getting at, is these parents do sort of a triage. They figure they're going to lose kids, and they put their, uh, their emotional attachment and their time into those that look like they're going to make it. Because the best, you could say the best economic return is to put all your effort into those that where there's a chance. And besides, if they get too attached to those that are going to die and it happens so often, they're going to wipe themselves out emotionally and psychologically. Right. So the economic so they, investment, but also the emotional investment. Right. Yeah. So you sort of hold back and you put it where it counts. And so this is a speculation, I realize. But it could be that if you have so much loss, you try to protect yourself. And in the process, it changes a whole society's view of children, at least for a period of time, that maybe if this happens so much and you have such lousy conditions for kids or or growing up healthy, that maybe it changes your attitude that they aren't as valuable or that you don't put as much effort into them. Or if everybody's thinking like this, then it becomes the trend. 
you know, the cultural trend. And that could have happened. Wow. Some places and sometimes. Is the approach to parenting, is it, is it colder? Is it, is it meaner? Is yeah. And you said, you mentioned something about permissive parents of today. Uh, well, okay. So another shift, if you go to a, there was sort of a transition time, this industri- pre-industrial industrial revolution and kids were still used uh, economically and put to work at young ages, but now it wasn't part of the cooperative. Now you'd farm them out, uh, not farm them out. That's, they weren't farmers, they, but they were hired out to do some nasty jobs, work in mills or factories or, or even coal mines or coal mines and work like pack mules. And these were probably from poor people who couldn't afford otherwise. And this was a sort of a depra- depraved time for kids. But once the Industrial Revolution hit and you had a large middle class, you had wealthier people, you had healthier kids that would uh, – that infant mortality went down even further, and, uh, and kids weren't needed in the workforce. And you think of today, it's really extreme. We do not need kids in the workforce. In fact, they clog it up. We don't want them there. We have we, – we, they, they will take jobs away from adults. And uh, another thing that happened is as jobs uh, – required more education and and skilled training they needed to stay in school longer and lo and behold you had more money so you could put them in school for longer and um and childhood returned rather than being miniature adults voila we started seeing kids as being different and and uh not as competent and needing to learn and also they weren't a, a financial asset to the families they were really a uh, if anything, a, a drag on the families, but we value children, but now we value them for other reasons. Emotionally, uh, to pass on the name, the, the potential they have, but not for economic reasons. And uh, so what have we done? We've started to ease up, uh, not be quite so strict and disciplined, be a little bit more uh, flexible and uh, and varied and also permissive, I think. Because... 200 years ago or whatever, if you're on the farm and, and little Johnny's, little six-year-old Johnny's job is to make sure those cows got fed or those horses got walked or whatever, if he's goofing around like a kid does, mm-hmm. it's not just that your kid is poorly behaved and it makes you mad. You actually might not have enough grain to, to survive the winter. Or you, 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 I think you've got it. Exactly. Uh, they they were necessary in that regard. They had to do their job. So moving to now, to our model of parenting, I mean, is this a what, – what phase are we in? Are we in the post-World War II phase? The <laughs> sort of what, – what, what, when did our modern conception – is it Dr. Spock? What It might be in transition. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what I think, but let me just say that right now we don't need kids. I said that already. In other words, economically we don't need kids. We'll do better economically without kids for right. most people in America. Right, we yeah. But we still like them, and most people want them. They won't have as large a families, of course. But they'll, they'll want them because they can afford them and have the time. They look at them as a, a, both a luxury and a highly prized, valuable part of their family. So now they'll pump a lot of time and effort and money into the kids. Uh, it's become much more child-oriented. Which is an absolute flip of, of what kids represent. Right. And it could be because they weren't – now we don't need them economically, so either you don't have them, but of course people still want kids. So now you switch it. Now they become highly valued, but not for economic reasons. 
but because of either emotional reasons or religious reasons or, you know, the, the value of passing on your family. Or status. Uh, or status or something like that. But now, before where you'd train them so they could be economically uh, valuable or you'd train them so they would be moral, now uh, you still do those things. But now you train them so that they will be normal, so that they will be healthy, so that they will have healthy lives. So we're very much concerned that we do something for our kids so that they can be happy and healthy and carry on. So, David, it... I just love this economic history stuff because it, it just shows how weird it is. You know, you, you you walk through your life in 21st century America and everything seems kind of like, well, yeah, that's how that's how things are. And then you, you learn that being a modern, rich country, middle class person is just this bizarre thing that is so different from whatever 99 percent of people who've ever lived, which which I find just just fascinating. You know, when I go to a museum, I have, you know, I've been to museums so many times you see those paintings with the kids dressed up like adults. I'm, I'm totally going to think about that differently now. Yeah. I, I do want to I do feel like there's one, you know, he said we don't have, we don't need kids. Like one of the reasons, you know, I want to have kids, I'm sure, is because there are little genes inside me that are saying, look, don't be an evolutionary dead end. We are, us genes, we need to survive. So you need to go reproduce. I mean, that, that is there with or with, without economics. I think that's very true. Although, you know, we used to have a lot more kids, and now we don't. Sure, but it uh, seems like we, even when we don't need them, it would still be something pushing you to have them. You may not have as, as many, right? But you probably right, still right. want to have one. So, David, I think that does it for us today. Please visit the blog, npr.org slash money. We've got lots of pictures and stories that listeners just like you have sent in. And please feel free to send us a note. We're at planetmoney at npr.org. Let us know what you thought of the podcast today or any of the other ones. I'm David Kestenbaum. And I'm Adam Davidson. Thank you for listening. <laughs>